Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Excited for today's show. We have Tahira back on the show. She was on in 2019 or so. She introduced me to the first SPAC in cannabis. She's totally switched gears. She now has founded Commons, which is an MLM for the CBD hemp world. So MLM, you might think, oh, that's kind of sketchy, pyramid scream. She's done it in a really smart way uh, that's going to empower people of color and minorities and maybe people that aren't normally targeted by cannabis. Uh, it's a fantastic episode. She's one of the greatest minds that we have in cannabis and I always uh, enjoy seeing her. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Hey guys, if you listened to the show last week, this week, any week, and you learned something, you got something out of it, do us a favor, write a review on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you listen, something you've learned, something funny, something making fun of me, whatever you want. Thanks for doing that. Appreciate it. To hear it's so good to see you again. We got a chance to check up in the, and uh, catch up in New York, but welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Always good to see you. And I got to see you in real life, which is also exciting. I didn't even know real life existed anymore. I thought that. Yeah. That was what is that? Um, you were on the show. I was looking back in early 2019, um, and you were the first person. Lifetime ago. Yeah, it's, it's a long time, especially <laughs> in weed pandemic years. Um, you were the first person I learned what a spack was from. Uh, ah. And who uh, knew? Yeah, and we we talked about it at length, um, and now. Everybody does specs. So I guess you're now, an early adopter. Now you're an expert. I don't know. Yeah. Early adopter, uh, maybe a little too early, but it's it's all right. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting to, to think of the timing against that. And I always laugh that when people will be like, oh, do you, so-and-so has a spec, And like everybody you know has a spec at this point. I was like, I remember when no one knew what a spec was. And I had to do a road show in January 2018. And people were like, What? Yeah. What is this? And very, very intelligent people who I think looked at me not only because I was trying to, you know, pitch something that was cannabis related and not cannabis plant touching related, but then also a SPAC. And so the the way we got through that, I think, is pretty laughable. And then you have conversations now where people are like, oh, SPAC, no problem. Next question. What are we talking about? Yeah, like Trump has a SPAC, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, they'll just give it to anybody, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, we're not talking about SPACs today. Uh, you have a new company. Very exciting. Um, tell us what Commons is. Yeah, so Commons is uh, right now it's a CBD based product company. Um, we're utilizing the direct sales model. So when you think of something like Avon or Tupperware, which I think for some people um, is very intuitive and for others are like, explain that to me. Um, and really what it is leveraging is the power of peer to peer. And by that, I mean that so much of what we do in life is through recommendations of people that we know and love and, and something that has continued to emerge as I've been in the cannabis industry and I'm sure for you as well is that there's still a lot of confusion around cannabinoids, you know, starting even with CBD, despite the fact that it is in every bodega, you can get it at Nordstrom, you know, you can get it from all these big retailers, but at the same time, people still don't have a strong understanding around it. Uh, and with all cannabinoids, I think there's this element of trial and error 
that has to continue to happen because we don't have the same structure that other medicines and, and products have. And so really allowing for having that, not only that recommendation, but that feedback uh, and that dialogue on what works best for you. If something doesn't work, what do you try next? And really bringing it within a trusted network. Um, and so that really what, it, what inspired you know, the, the channel for the brand. The other side of it was really thinking about how do you get more people engaged and have access to broad-based cannabinoids and plant-based medicine, not just CBD. We started with CBD because it's obviously federally legal if it's hemp derived. It allows us the opportunity to get into a lot of different areas, but with the ultimate goal to expand into other cannabinoids and eventually THC. I jokingly say that we just were trying to bring cannabis back to where it started, where everybody's got got a got a guy yeah. got a dealer um it's the oldest peer-to-peer -peer transaction that there is and so taking it back to that trusted resource um we also think about other ways that we can eventually expand and, and broadly plant-based medicine so as we see the exploration and innovation in psilocybin and other products like that how are we able to create a channel where it's really based on trust and recommendation as opposed to um, where, where a lot of products sit today that I think still leads to a lot of confusion. Um, and wanting to make sure that more people from all demographics, all points of um, you know, socioeconomic status have the ability to participate, not just from a product perspective, but then also from potential around income. Um, so there, there's an income generation opportunity and it can, be small dollars for some people, but for, for many, a couple hundred dollars extra a month can be very meaningful. Um, and instead of, you know, potentially giving your marketing dollars that you're not necessarily aware of going to Google or Facebook, they're actually going into the pockets of people that you know and who could um, truly benefit for it. So thinking about how do we put dollars back in, into real people's pockets. Um, so those are the, the various elements that kind of led to commons today. Uh, we're still fairly new and young in the market, um, but growing rapidly and excited to keep it going. A lot to unpack there. Oh, um, so much. I just threw it all at you. So much. You've been thinking about that all morning, I could tell. Um, <laughs> it's so, all I think about every day. <laughs> um, what was wrong or what is wrong with other CBD products? I mean, we mentioned, you know, that they're everywhere, right? You can get them at Starbucks and with your massage. And I, I saw CBD mascara. I didn't understand how that could work. Maybe you could explain that to me, but um yeah, what was what's wrong I don't think I can. <laughs> with the CBD market and why did we need something different? I think there are a lot of good things about the CBD market. Let me just say that up front that I think there's been a lot of evolution. Uh, there are a lot of people who are trying to do things the right way at the same time. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of people who are doing things the wrong way and you know, having things like just testing available and making sure that you're taking all those steps, which add time and cost, but are very important because we're still in this gray area where there aren't standard requirements across the board. Um, so I think that other areas of being wrong is like, if you actually go through testing a lot of different products, you know, do they actually have in them what they claim? A lot of times, no. And so I think that there is a lot of uh, just lack of information, lack of transparency that's continuing to happen. Uh, and for some, it's just a fad and they'll move on to the next thing. And I'm talking from the product brand perspective. For other groups, I think there are some really, really great brands out there. The reason why Commons came into existence was less about, oh, do we need another CBD brand? And no, we don't need another CBD brand. It's more about 
do we need another way to reach consumers and people who are seeking resources for sleep, pain, anxiety, stress, you know, all of the things. And is there a better way to engage with them? And, you know, for, for CBD, I think that there's still, you know, like we said, there, there's still so much confusion around it because of the fact that it's gotten so saturated. Like, you know, you go to Soho House and they're putting it in your cocktail. And whether or not that's really having any impact or not, I don't know. Probably not. Um, they're putting something they but, call CBD in your cocktail. You don't really well, that, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, they're putting a little dropper of something in there and that oil just sits on top of your beverage and it is what it is. And I think that Ooh. that <laughs> that's, for lack of a better word, that snake oil type salesman element has happened particularly in CBD. And we need to take that back because I think that there is so much positive that is from CBD and CBD in my perspective is a gateway to all the other cannabinoids and all the other great things that you can experience. But if you, if you get it wrong on CBD, then you're losing the trust for everything else there is to come. And I think the willingness to also try some of those other types of products, it, it may be, CBD may not be the thing that works for you, but I know so many people who have benefited from it. I mean, I have chronic pain. It, it does help me. I have, can never sleep a full night. It, it helps me with elements of that. And I, you know, just knowing other people that it's had such a massive impact on. So I know that there is, is truth in that product, but I know so many people too, are like, I tried it, felt nothing, or I tried it and did not like the impact of it. Uh, and, and from there, there's just really nowhere else for them to go. And nobody's really sitting online and like, Googling everything and finding out everything there is to know. So I think the education element that needs to be, that's something that is kind of wrong in the space that maybe there's, there's been too much put out there or not in the right formats. And we just need to keep trying different ways to get people to have a better understanding. And not everybody wants to become an expert on it, but it's also an element of, you know, it's like democratization of access and understanding people should be able to understand more and it's about taking your health into your own hands and i think we're seeing a lot more of that um, and so the more that we can provide in a very digestible way the more people can be more informed about what is best for them and when it comes to cannabinoids it really is you have to figure out what is best for you recommendations can be given but we're just not at a point where we have enough information to say okay like advil take two and then don't take any more for you know, over this period of time, um, we don't really have that yet. I think we're getting enough data to get there, but a part of commons too, is we want to be collecting data and able to distill down what are recommendations that we can give based on how people have been using products and, and the levels that they're using. I mean, what is a dose in CBD, any other cannabinoid THC? I don't know. You just kind of guess. I know what a dose is for me, but yeah, we're not really Is that there even yet, really a dose. You know? um, it, it's not like, oh, I had one drink or I had two drinks. Right. That's fairly standardized. Yeah. You know, we, we really right. don't know yet. Um, from a commercial perspective, obviously doing the CBD from hemp makes a lot of sense. From an efficiency uh, perspective, like effectiveness, you know, it's not from cannabis, right? So kind of take us through the difference there and, you know, what people should be aware of, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you can ask a variety of people is that is there really a difference between CBD that is extracted from hemp and versus extracted from cannabis? And most people will tell you no. Um, but the the biggest element of it comes to the regulatory framework and that 
there is a higher concentration of CBD in hemp, and that is what is federally legal, uh, what is available in cannabis, and the fact that you have to go through a regulated, a, a very different regulated market for that. Um, at the end of the day, for any extraction, it's about the quality of the plant that it's being extracted from, the extraction process, and then the testing process after that uh, to make sure that there are no, you know, mold, mildew, heavy metals, all of that, which again, you would think is table stakes at this point, uh, but isn't unfortunately, and, and really should be. And so for customers being able to not only see COAs uh, for products that they are consuming, but also to be able to understand what does it mean? You know, you can, I don't know if you've ever gone through a COA, but like you can put it up there. I don't know if anybody really knows how to, how to interpret those or like the average customer. Um, but it's, it's kind of, a, it should be at minimum a check the box item. Like you should be sharing those so people can have some confidence that at least you've, you've tested these products. I think the other side of it too, is just understanding um, the amount that's actually in there and the amount that you'll be absorbing roughly depending on the form factor that it is. And this doesn't really answer the question around like the difference between hemp and, and cannabis derived CBD because it's, it's all kind of the same to me, but rarely will you see, I think CBD only products in dispensaries because they don't have to just sit there. Um, you now, you know, there's a case to be made for combination products like one-to-one -one THC CBD. Those will all stay in the regulated market and, and hopefully one day commons can expand into those types of products as well. We just, um, you know, in, in the current structure there and requires a lot more uh, regulatory structuring that we'll, we'll grow into in time. For sure. Um, based on the way you sort of structured the business model in the MLM or multi-level marketing here, um, is there a different demographic for who you think is going to be consuming this, selling it? Is this a different target? Yeah, so it was actually a big reason for why we wanted to use this channel versus direct consumer or just uh, you know going into brick and mortar. And it's because from you know our lens, it's been that there are a lot of populations that are just overlooked when it comes to cannabinoids more broadly. But as we're seeing brands continue to expand, you know there are thousands and thousands, and I think that they're they're continuously targeting the same communities, probably, you know, a white, more affluent population, mostly on the coast, those who maybe have access to more information or just where this is probably a little bit more available or even where cannabis is available, which up until recently wasn't really just all the way across the country. Um, and I think that when you think of different, um, you know, ethnic backgrounds as well. There are a lot of communities that just really aren't being talked to. I mean, I don't think that there are very many brands at all that are engaging with black and brown communities, you know, people that have been advocates for cannabis for a very long time. Um, and then thinking even like my family's from Pakistan, I've, I don't think there are very many brands that would try to engage with that community necessarily as, as like a target. But when you even think about those types of group, it's like, unlike, or like many other demographics, like you turn to the community that you know when you have questions. And so there's a lot of power in being able to engage with them as well, because if something works for someone, just like when we have all of these more traditional uh, remedies, like home remedies that work, they get carried through communities and generations because it's trusted. It's been tried over and over again. Um, those are the types of communities that we're trying to engage with. And I think, you know, hopefully give an opportunity 
to engage in a way that makes them feel very comfortable, where there is trust there. Um, and, you know, I think that there is um, a certain degree of vulnerability that comes along with buying cannabinoid products, depending on what you're trying to deal with. So going into a brick and mortar retail store and asking somebody behind the counter um, for a product that helps you deal with like your deep stress or your sleep issues maybe isn't suited for everybody. Um, and then also direct to consumer, there's, I think it can be a little bit overwhelming. And so thinking about how do you simplify it for groups that don't have all of this information, flooding them all the time. Um, and really, I think widening the demographics for who is consuming it and has, and, and really feeling a benefit from it. How do you get the flywheel started in those communities? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the phase we're in right now. So it's, it's a learning process. Um, a lot of different, I think, strategies go into thinking about how do you get that flywheel started? And so often it takes like, there's that one person who, when you think of, all right, that you have that friend who, if you want a restaurant recommendation or a product recommendation, you go to that person. Those are kind of the people who stick out to us as the the evangelists, the product evangelists. Um, so right now we've been really focused on people trying the products and having really positive experiences with them. And then those leveraging those people to then go on and and become ambassadors for commons and, and share their experience. Because really at the end of the day, it's if you don't have people who have felt an impact from the product, feel, feel strongly about it, then that flywheel doesn't really go anywhere. And then you're just trying to get a new customer all the time, but no consistency. And so the personal story is a huge part of this, being able to share what happens to you. I mean, there's only so much that people want to hear about to hear a story. And like, who the hell is to hear? Nobody cares. So you want to hear from the people I that you know, like, I oh, thank you. That's really all I was going for, just fishing <laughs> for compliments. Um, so you want to hear how it's impacted, you know, people in your life and maybe who are suffering from or going through or, or you know, have had the same experience as you, because then it kind of levels the playing field. It's like, oh, yeah, your sleep issues are mine or like mine. I should try this. And, you know, one one thing that kind of made the light bulb go off for me for this channel several years ago was 2018. And my mom called me one day and she was like, hey, have you heard of CBD? And I was like, are you kidding me, mother? Like I've been in cannabis for so long and you're asking me this question. And she was like, well, you've never brought up CBD to me before. And I was like, well, I have, but probably actually not that much because at that time it wasn't as, as legal as it is now. And what was interesting about it is that it was one of her best friends. My mom's from Pakistan. Her best friend is uh, an Indian woman who had been, uh, she has several convenience stores and had been stocking CBD because people had asked for it. And she couldn't keep it on the shelf. And she tried the product. She, they were uh, soft shells and it helped her with her back pain. And my mom has back pain and she suggested it to her. And my mom tried it. And after about a week, she was starting to feel a little bit of a difference. And she was like, yeah, I think this is so much better for me than taking Advil every day. And that just really struck me is that like, I can tell her to take all these different things or make suggestions, but it really comes down to like, who do you trust who actually... I mean, not to say that my mom doesn't trust me, but <laughs> maybe she doesn't. Um, but it's it's the part of like that, that people who have gone through the same things you have, or you just have a reliance or you rely on, on the information that they're sharing with you. And I think that that's ultimately at the core of kind of the flywheel. It's like, who are those people who 
are trusted um, or have narratives that they can share about how something has impacted them. Um, so like I said, we're still in those early days of, of getting people to have the product, but we're already seeing those experiences. You know, we have a range of ambassadors already who are anywhere from uh, a woman who's a nurse to a man who's a construction worker who've had positive impact from different formats of the product who then want to go on and share it with people that they know. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people, when they think of this type of structure, they can't help but think of the Ponzi schemes that have happened in the world. <laughs> I'm going to be in Mexico in a couple of years and you'll never hear from me again. <laughs> uh, how sick are you here uh, of hearing about Ponzi schemes when you bring this up to people? <laughs> uh, not, not sick of it. I think it's, it's expected and kind of par for the course. And it, to be honest, when I started thinking about this, that's where my mind went. I was like, oh, direct sale, like MLM. Are we talking like pyramid schemes here? And my own sister was a seller for Beauty Counter and Stella and Dot several years ago. And I remember when she was participating in it, I was like, hmm, are these like modern day, like they're much better looking. They're much different businesses than probably the the ones that we think about from earlier days. And I don't know if you've watched the Lula Rich documentary on Amazon, but that dropped recently. You should watch that. It's very okay. entertaining. Also okay. crazy. And like one of those things where you're like, yeah, we would never do that. Um, <laughs> so things to keep in mind. But I, when I really started to spend time researching what the channel was and like why, I mean, it's still here, right? So there is something that is driving success behind it. And when you strip away some of the, not some, if you strip away the predatory elements that have happened and totally agree, there are people who have taken advantage of the systems and the, I think, preyed on certain demographics who are more, more vulnerable and seeking help. You know, you, you've seen like, I think there've been stories around certain uh, businesses going after like Latino demographics or like stay at home moms or people in certain areas. And, I can absolutely understand like why those happened and, and how it spiraled out of control. But if you take away some of those behaviors that even from the business level that are essentially rewarding bad behavior, what you're really left with is a essentially what's like a hyper affiliate or a referral based business, which in, in that context is just like any other business, you know, or, or so many things that are like influencer marketing today, somebody posts something and they're, you know, they might be a celebrity, but now we have all the way down to like micro influencers and people trust them or they like the things that they put up there. E-commerce and, and right. I give out exactly. referrals to flower company all the time. I get like all these free dollars from it. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. And you, you respect the company. Well, I think you do. Um, you know, you have, <laughs> we love those guys. I'm kidding. Um, but you believe in it. You think it's a great business and you want people to work with them. And so when they do, you get a piece. And I think that that is totally okay. And I would rather, for me personally, I would rather people I know be benefiting from things that they bring me than from a random company or a person that I don't know. And, and so I think it's just like, level setting in that capacity and whenever you whenever i have these conversations and kind of put it in that capacity people always be like huh i never thought of it that way and i am that same person you know i had to break it down for myself to be like okay why does this actually make sense and how how is it not a pyramid scheme um and then i think when 
you think about all of the the bad things that have happened. I, I definitely have had people in conversation say like, uh, I have an aversion to this because my mom or my aunt or someone did this when I was a kid and they had all this product in the garage and they like ruined their life. And I totally understand that. And sometimes you're not going to convince everybody and, and that's okay. Cause I, I, I can completely understand like how devastating of an experience that must feel like. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, I do feel very strongly that there's a power behind this and, you know, we just want to put power and I think trust and um, opportunity back in people's hands as opposed to feeling like everything has to be like a corporation, which cannabis has quickly gotten to. Um, and at the end of the day, I think it should be something that is available for everybody and everybody should have the ability to participate for opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you're such a strong proponent for women and people of color and minorities uh, there's all kinds of different equity programs happening all over the country. It seems to be one of the negotiating pieces that they get in legislation. Um, how are we doing as a whole there? Mm, not the best. Uh, I think not without trying. Uh, one, I will say these are very complicated structures. There's a lot happening. There are a lot of different interests at the table. You're also mixing, you know, business with regulation and like regulatory bodies. And there's a lot of bureaucracy and kind of entrenched structures that happen on that side. Um, I think we've had, uh, we've seen a lot of different cases now, like what's happened in California, what happened in Illinois. We'll see what happens in New York. But the fact that New York didn't pass the first time because of its lack of structure around social equity and certain certain elements there, I think is a really great sign. Um, it all comes out into how it plays out. And I think the challenge has continued to be that we can move people to the front of the line, we can give them a license, but then what? These aren't necessarily people who know how to run businesses, who have access to large pools of capital. And regardless of what happens within the industry, building a business takes capital. It takes legal, it takes all these different professional services uh, and it's complicated web or maybe not so, not complicated, but it's a big web of things that you need to get through. Like even the licensing, you know, dealing with down to the municipality level. Um, so I think what where we have fallen down is getting that structure really set up so people can thrive. Um, we're seeing licenses get issued and then people not be able to execute against it. Or the reality is that these are really capital intensive businesses. And um, what I think is interesting with you know, markets like Massachusetts that only, only social equity applicants have delivery for a period of time. And the capital that goes into that is, is different from cultivation and, and even retail. And so can those allow certain populations to thrive before others have the ability to get in. And, and I think we have to think about structures like that to really protect, not only protect, but then also really support those groups to make sure that they are able to succeed. And I think what's challenging about the New York regulation is that you can only really be on one license. So it's not that you can't you know, you can only have call it five or 9.9% .9 of interest in any one given license. You can only have one. And so from a capital perspective, or even if you think of like a groups of like services that want to be able to support a big group, you can't have any equity positions in those. And I think that that 
that can lead to a bit of a challenging model. Like even something that I wanted to do with my partner at Highlands uh, Venture Partners was like, what if we did a, a fund and could support a variety of social equity applicants? And if there's some kind of services backend, you know, an incubator or something that can support all of them, but you can't do that. And I know other groups that are trying to do that, that are coming up with much more creative structures than I was capable of doing. Um, and we'll see if they work. I think that, you know, that it's it's going to be something that goes through an iterative process. The challenge with iterating when you're dealing with government bodies is that it's very slow. And so I do think it's going to take private sector engagement because if we only rely on what goes into regulations, then it's it's going to keep falling flat because that just kind of falls by the wayside. Um, I, I do continue to have great hopes for what New York does, but I don't think anybody gets it right straight out of the gate. Well, I commend you for the model that you're putting together as far as it's uh, considering equity and, and less served people, because I think a lot of companies, you know, they pay at lip service or they, you know, they put a little bit of budget towards it. But like your model, it, it, it's at the heart of it, it sounds like in a lot of ways. Um, and that's cool. I, I think for Thank that you. movement, like, I hope you grow a lot and that becomes something other people want to do, right? I'm sure that's part of the reason you're doing this. Definitely. And I think that, um, you know, not to say like, we're, we're not the first one to come up with this strategy. I think what we're, we are different in where we are really trying to focus our attention and the who and the why, um, and really trying to put brand behind it. I do think that there's a lot of power in brand and, and the development of a community um, and, and thinking about things like what is community-based health advocacy look like and how do you create that for a larger population? Healthcare in general, it's just, I mean, we have so many issues with it. It's just so, and you're, you saw it so much going through COVID, right? Just the haves and the have-nots. And it's time for people to really try to take things into their own hands. And it's frustrating that we have to be in this position to do that, but how, what tools can we give people to be able to do that? And I think that something like this could potentially do that and maybe not cover everybody, but in, in small ways every day that we can improve daily life. Um, I think that that's important. So, you know, incremental change, allowing for more people to participate and, and hopefully encourage others to want to do the same thing and in whatever way, shape and form. And I think there are dozens of different ways to do that. And we hope to collaborate with all those people because at the end of the day, it's it's not a competition. It's about wanting to bring everybody along so everybody can have the same opportunities mm -hmm. or at least some of it. Mm -hmm. um, how about fundraising? You certainly have plenty of connections in that area. What's, what's the plan <laughs> on that side? Um, so we have done a seed raise. We're actually doing a seed extension soon. Um, we are very fortunate to be um, backed by Thrive Capital. And so they were a large part of our, our seed raise and we have some um, smaller investors in there as well. Really in our next raise, we're focused on groups that can really help us think about the community aspect and going into different types of communities and being able to engage. And Thrive is also supporting us in that raise. Um, so we're much more focused on the strategic side of it. And, you know, I think some of those groups we've been able to engage with and thinking about different parts of the country and also just different types of um, demographics is going to be really critical. And so, and it's not just thinking about like, you know, um, racial diversity, but when you think of, uh, you know, 
practitioner groups or groups that really have uh, an understanding around alternative healthcare. Um, so we're really focused on that area. And that'll be uh, our first quarter 2022 activity that we'll be tackling. Mm-hmm. Fun. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about like the growth and how fast the growth can be in this kind of model, as opposed to, like you said, you're not just pouring a bunch of money into Google or Facebook ads, right? So when you talk to investors, how do projections sort of vary from the other, you know, more traditional model or less traditional model? I don't know which one's more traditional. Yeah, no. (laughs) Big question mark. Um, So I think it, it can be quite slow at the beginning. And I think that that is a difference between um, a channel like this and doing direct to consumer because you aren't putting all these dollars into ads, which you know the acquisition costs are so much higher than they used to be. So that's also just a challenging area, I think for direct to consumer brands um, where we're putting more capital is towards populations of people and and putting it into them and training and you know what we would call like seller acquisition um and it's a slower cycle for conversion uh, at first and you know everybody who i've talked to in the direct sales industry they're like your first 100 to 200 sellers are going to be the hardest people you ever get in your life but then from there a flywheel begins and as long as you have a great infrastructure and the ability to support them and it, it grows exponentially from there. And I'll give you an example. I won't name the business, but it's a business that, um, from what I understand, is about four to five years old, direct sales, all activewear. Um, and they do about 60 million a month in sales of activewear. And I'm like, well, if they can sell that much in activewear, yeah. <laughs> um, what are the opportunities for products that are you know, for your health? Um, and you hear different types of ranges from there. And so I think that that, that building process is pretty hard. It's a much longer lead time. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to invest the time and energy there because, again, it's all about trust. And so you want people, I, I want people to trust the brand. I want to make sure that we should be trusted, that we have the resources and the tools that we need. So we've spent a lot of time building that infrastructure. When you think about technology and the underlying platform that's supporting this to making sure that our, you know, the manufacturers that we're working with and supply chain is consistent and reliable so we can have good product that is well tested to get out the door, you know, to your 3PL to make sure all of those things are moving well because the the hope and the plan is that once you hit that point of um, that flywheel really taking off that you have an infrastructure that can really support that. Um, so we have spent a lot of time in our first year on those elements. And as we now shift towards more you know, being out in the world and um, being a more well-known, uh, I think that we're in a much better position to be able to support that. But it, it does it does take time. Um, we certainly don't have like the same, I think, hockey stick that a lot of direct-to-consumer brands have, you know, within their first 12 months. But we we weren't expecting that. We were expecting that to be able to show probably in like, you know, year two, year, year three, and then really taking off from there. Um, and if you look back, and we've spent a lot of time looking as well as like companies like Beauty Counter, which was just recently valued at a billion dollars and had pretty substantial investment from institutional investors. And you look at a business like Stella and Dot, um, their Rodan fields, like those types of businesses that you know, and for a lot of people, they don't even realize that they're 
direct sales businesses because it's just kind of, you know, they've really done a good job in developing and I think modernizing the brands and platforms. Um, and, th- and that's where we're trying to sit as well. It's just focusing on that forward looking, trying to be innovative. Also, when you think about our technology, like how can we build tools that best serve our investors and also the end customers. And that's where that, that feedback loop that we're hoping to create to be more informative about our own products uh, will come in, you know, on that technology side. So much uh, of this is the, the education of the ambassadors or coaches, whatever, whatever you want to call them. What's the best way to educate them? I mean, is it video content? Do you give them quizzes? Like what's the best way to do that? So right now we are, we do what are called, you know, learning sessions every week. We have weekly Zooms. Um, we do have a medical advisor, Dr. Janella Chin, who's been amazing and has been practicing in cannabinoid-based medicine for 20 years. So she herself has a lot of data from patients uh, over the years to be able to share like best use cases, why things work the way that they do. So right now we're really having, and, and because we have a smaller base of people, we do the, the webinar style conversations and we do Q and A. Um, and then eventually as we continue to, to build out our technology and our learning platform that is for ambassador training, it'll be much more in the you know, different modules, taking quizzes, there'll be incentives, uh, because we do want people to really feel comfortable with the information. Um, And we want to also be able to offer that range. So for some people, you have a baseline of information, and and that's enough. And for some people, they want to go much deeper. Um, And so being able to offer those, and there are a couple of different tools that we're working on that will allow people to work through the organization. And as they also advance in their leadership within the organization will have certain requirements to make sure that they are also uh, able, you know, to convey the information correctly. As you know, it's like you you have to really be careful about what you're saying in this space. You can't make claims. You do not want to say certain things. Um, and we ensure that we can definitely ensure that, you know, on the on the corporate common side. But as you have these ambassadors out there, you need to also ensure that they know uh, because you don't want them saying the wrong things to the wrong people. Uh, and I don't mean like wrong people, but you don't want them saying the wrong claim and somebody having an adverse effect or, you know, having a, a negative experience. And so we want to make sure that they're very well trained there. Got it. Um, last question. I'll get you out of here on this one. Um, the cannabis industry, for lack of a better term, has kind of opened up again, right? They had trailblazers mm-hmm. and MJ BizCon and Unpacked. Um, you attend all these things, you talk to a lot of people, what do you feel like the sentiment right now is in cannabis? And, you know, um, where, where are we, I suppose, as a, as everyone's kind of coming back from being inside? I mean, if you look at the stock market, people will are shaking their heads. Um, for a lot of people, they'll say that this is one of the biggest buying opportunities that there will ever be in the, the, you know, the, the bottom is in sight. I think I saw a tweet today from, you know, prolific trader who was like, the bottom could be next week and then get ready people. Uh, and I think we've seen this a couple of times in the industry, right? Like you've been in the space long enough. Like we've had these, these valleys before and then these crazy spikes that come after. And I, you know, a lot of people will be like, what inning do you think I, that we're in? And I'm like, I don't understand baseball. Next question. <laughs> Ask me about football. I'll tell you about that. Um, and I think that, I think we're still early. I mean, I, when you think about legal cannabis, it, it's 
not that old. And to say that we are, you know, at its peak is just, you know, not true. Um, and we're also not at this crazy bottom, like it's not bottoming now. I think going to these different conferences and talking to such a wide range of people, there's just, there's still so much opportunity. And yes, some of the biggest companies are the biggest companies. Are they going to be the biggest ones in five or 10 years? I don't know. I, I'm not convinced. And the same way it's, if you ask me if like the best brands that are going to be like the future brands exist today, I don't think so. Like, I just think that there's so much more to come. The U.S. market is still working itself out. Obviously, like the East Coast coming online, I think is going to be a major changing event. Um, New York in particular, which now we don't think will be before mid to late 2023, could even get pushed off more than there. So Lame. that's a pretty long timeline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's going to be a game changer. Like I think New York being a legal market is going to be massive and we're going to see different types of businesses and brands come out of that. So I think we're still early. I think there's a lot of opportunity. And for those who are in the space who are kind of losing hope, it's like you just, this is that really rough patch that you just have to get through. Um, and not everybody will survive. And we've seen this happen, not only in this industry, but other ones. Um, but I'm, I'm always, I'm just always very bullish on cannabis, even I think on my worst days where I'm like, why am, should I just go get a real job somewhere? And, a real job. And the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's more my parents' question. Like, is it time for you to get a real job? And I'm like, I have real jobs. I think maybe. Uh, have you heard of CBD? And is it time for you to get a real job? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot stuff. of conflict going on over here. Um, well, that's a good place to wrap up as any, I think. How can we help you? How can the audience help you otherwise, other than checking out the website and maybe buying something? Yeah, go to commons.co, you know, even if uh, just give us give us a follow on Instagram. Um, we're always you know looking for feedback as well. Like I I appreciate hearing different perspectives and ideas. Um, and you know, maybe buy some products or become an ambassador. Buy it. Any yeah. any of the above. Good stuff. Tahira, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you.